Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Hey, everybody. Davenport here on TalkShoe. Yeah, we love TalkShoe. We are back on TalkShoe because the station is still down. And it will be up soon. We are hoping. We have had nothing but trouble with this soundboard, I'll tell you. And those two corrupted hard drives have really given us hell for the last few weeks. And getting back on has not been easy. But we are working on it around the clock. And we should be up. Ah, wow. I hate to say it, but it's going to be a couple of weeks. Until then, we're going to record live here on TalkShoe and a couple of other platforms uh, simultaneously, including MixCloud, and uh, do it that way. So it's it's going to be okay. We're going to have a lot of fun, and um, we're going to still run these on the 24-hour station after they are done in post-production. I'm waiting on my co-host, Miss Tracy Clark. Tracy Clark? Who the hell is Tracy Clark? Tracy Ross. I've done that now three or four times, so I'm getting a little Alzheimer's, I guess. Tracy's calling in right now, by the way. Oh, she has to call. Okay, we have to call you. Boy, I tell you, I'm getting all these directions here at the last minute. We have to call you. Hello. Okay, good. Hello. That's good. It's amazing. All this technology at my fingertips. Amazing kind of thing going on here um, that you can just talk to people around the world. uh, They're at your fingertips, and we can talk to each other in state-to-state, country-to-country. It it totally amazes me at the technology. I was looking today at some technology where they built that underground tunnel in Sweden, and um, just amazing stuff. A a, a tunnel boring machine that was like three football fields long. Reached the voicemail box of. Three stories. Oh, boy. Reached her voicemail. Uh, Let me tell her this. Is this what we should do on live radio? Um, Okay. So anyway, three stories high. Okay, Tracy's there. She's waiting on Skype. Uh, Three stories high and takes out so much rock, it's unbelievable. Boring through the Swiss Alps. Unbelievable. Tracy says Skype is more reliable. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, there you are. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. Yeah, I was just talking about the Swiss Alps and the boring machine that is three stories high and three football fields long that had to bore through the Swiss Alps. And the project cost billions of dollars and took uh, seven or eight years to get done. And it's just unbelievable to me how men can and women can uh, – 
create this kind of technology to do these kinds of monumental things. Right. <laughs> unbelievable. This machine is unbelievable, literally unbelievable. Okay, and that's well, I, I missed the beginning, so I, I'm really not trying not to date on the whole machine, but... Well, it's just a, a project that's been going on around the world in different parts of the world. They're using this massive boring machine to connect tunnels and um, to make pathways under the United States and around the world. And hundreds of miles of tunneling going on and many, many cities being built underneath the ground, Middle Earth. Uh, and it just amazes uh-huh. me. This has been going on since probably the 1930s or something like that. Um, And it just amazes me how we do not know very much at all about these underground cities and this underground tunneling. Um, We hear bits and pieces of it. We see video of bits and pieces of it, but we really do not have a good grip on just how extensive these tunnels are or how technologically sound these tunnels are. I've heard okay, that. Okay, so, uh, you know, this you know, is actually going to lead into my little surprise for you tonight. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so, because I'm, I'm really sort of, I'm not lost on it all, I'm sure it's all very fascinating. But I think what's more fascinating is understanding you and where in the world you find this stuff. I mean, I guess it's not that hard if I were more involved in uh, mainstream news or what's going on out there, or even underground news for that matter. But I want to turn the tables tonight, and I want to interview Kyler Davenport. Oh, wow. I got to interview you a few weeks ago. That was kind of interesting. You turned the tables yes. on me that last minute and said, hey, why don't you just interview me? And I'm like, wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, because we lost a guest, and so, you know, it was, it was kind of like, oh, I've never told my story, so. I want to tell you again how happy I am that you're back. <laughs> I'm happy to be back. We've had such a great response today and, and yesterday. We just posted it less than 24 hours ago, and um, so many people have been responding. It's been, it's been really nice, nicely overwhelming. I can't well, as a, back. Side, as a side note to that, um, I would like to say what I did at the last minute worked. Um, I I went out there and I looked at who is responding to my post. And I Mm -hmm. looked, I really searched and I really, I really studied who is responding to my post. What are they saying about my post? What kinds of questions are they asking? What kind of comments are they laying down? How many of my posts have they liked? I took a lot of time and a lot of energy, and I've been going over this for the last few days in my own way. And I wrote down all of the names of the people that had participated. I saw that. I, I thought out. that you were going to keep a log. I was like, wow, I wish I had that much time on my hands. There you go. And then I went out <laughs> and I tagged everyone in some comments about the cross-promotion project and how much I appreciated them being here mm-hmm. with us and um, how much I appreciated them commenting on my post and all that kind of thing. So it it worked. People started PMing me back. People started wanting to come on the show. Um, 
And then people started sharing my post more. I noticed uh, my numbers were going up on those specific areas uh, of those specific people that I had tagged in that post. So, you know, it, it worked. Um, it worked. All I can say is it worked and it's working because I'm adding people to that list as we speak. Even this evening, I'm adding people to that list, that core list that you and I are always talking about. And yeah. then people are always asking me, you know, what does this core group do? Well, they don't have to do anything, but for some reason they do because they appreciate me going to their page. This is the secret part I'm leaving out here. I guess I ought to get to the real meat of the thing. Uh, when they go to my page and they comment on something, I immediately go to their page and like at least 25 things on their page and comment. Immediately I go there. If it takes me all day long, I do that. And that's 25 people times 25. So do the math on that. And then, you know, I have to stop and comment. I have to like, and I have to share their page. And if they want friends, I ask them in PM, do you need or want any friends or fans or followers? And I go and take the time to do that. So there you go. You're getting a lot of information here tonight on this whole program. So that's what I do, and that's what we have to do, and that's what everyone needs to do in order to keep this machine well-oiled and to keep um, us being successful on this very fucked-up platform we call Facebook. Yes, and you and I have had many conversations about that. Lately, and, and believe and, me, that's a that's a lot of work. What I just told you. Well, and it's hard. You know, I think that a lot of the a lot of the times people go onto Facebook because they're searching something. I know when I first went onto Facebook, I was searching for support and like-minded people, and and I think it's hard to transition into um, the cross promotion and and really supporting people in, in that in that sense, that aspect of it. But I can tell you that you know, in the last less than a year that I've been on Facebook and I met some of these wonderful people, um, you know, it's really, it's really changed. The climate's changed. The, um, the support has changed in so many different ways. You know, we do radio shows now and everybody's doing them and everybody's supporting them and it's become something that we do. We do cross remote and we do um, simulcast and, and things like that. People, so. people are still not used to the general idea of cross promoting though. They're still not used. They, they can't Seem to It's very hard to grasp for some reason, and I told Mary earlier and last night how simple this is, but how complex it is. Um, it's very difficult for people to understand and very difficult for me to describe how Facebook works and how the algorithms work and why we need to do this. It's almost like a futuristic kind of thing that I'm doing here as we were all in the caves hiding in some undisclosed location underground with our new social media platform. And that's exactly what it's like. You know, it's like we're overriding Facebook's algorithm by sticking together. They don't expect people to stick together. Well, I remember asking you in one of our, you know, first couple of shows when we first met and we were talking about cross-promoting. This is not what I want to actually, you know, figure out about you tonight because I think you're much deeper than cross-promotion. But, um, 
I remember asking you exactly what what that looked like to you, what what it meant to cross from it, because even I was confused. But you're right, it is very simple. It's just a matter of um, just sharing other people's stuff and, and being supportive, you know. And if someone likes your stuff and you like it back, and you change your algorithm, it changes the algorithm, and you start to see different things on Facebook than than you're usually used to seeing. And I remember I did that that whole that whole trial and error, oh, that test thing where I went out and I liked everything the opposite of what I would normally like, just to test the algorithm. And it came back and, and all of a sudden my news feed for, you know, a day or two was completely different than, than what I'm used to. I wasn't seeing family court stuff and family law stuff and I wasn't seeing parental alienation stuff. I was seeing all opposite or, you know, very different stuff. And so I, I was able to prove that the algorithm is true and, and that it does it does change your attitude. It changes the way you think of things, the way you look at things, and what influences you. And so, cross promotion isn't just about sharing everyone's things and supporting each other. It's a it's a change in mindset. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what I found out. It did be. And you also you also make mm-hmm. new deeper friends in the process and deepen those relationships that you might already have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've met I met people that way that are still friends, and it turns out we have a lot in common. Whether it's to do with family courts or not, you know, everyone's touched by this stuff. Everyone knows somebody. So um, it's a way to affect the unaffected in the areas that we are um, activists in. Uh, and it's just a way to, to open our minds in such a closed-minded, um, painful arena. So all those are with me. See if I can <laughs> piss MIGTO off a little bit tonight. <clears throat> oh, God, here we go. All right, so let's get into that. Let's get into Kylie Davenport a little bit. Well, Somebody had made a comment, my dear. Uh, I, I love how you're avoiding this whole subject, by the way. It's very, no, very no, 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 no. I just wanted to say that someone made a comment earlier in MGTO, and it kind of pissed me off. Oh, well, if it, you're going to get pissed off at MGTO, then I definitely, definitely want to hear this. It said, I can't deal with this anymore. Am I the only one who thinks women are horrible conversationalists? <laughs> and then everybody jumps in. Um, listen to Tom like us, man. Women are just meat for men's pleasure. That's all they are. Uh, and then oh, wow. I jump in. I jump in. I hate to burst that guy's bubble, but Tom Likas is actually a friend of mine, and he's nothing like he is on air. So whoever you are, dude, sorry to burst your bubble, but he's well, very maybe, much. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. This is a very not complex like issue, I said. And then I said, and one cannot be completely solved. One that cannot be completely solved. And then somebody else jumped in. Uh, I said, I might talk about this on the show tonight. And somebody else jumps in and says, uh, never found a single woman who can keep up with me in a debate. Every time someone has shown me to be wrong to the point where I was have to stop and think about my position, it's rare anyway. It has to be a man that I'm talking to. And women show themselves to be shallow and petty in every conversation mm-hmm. they have. Just as long as you know what to look for and know how to translate their double speak. Yeah, I, I totally, I, I do believe that there are women out there who can hold a conversation with me. I have met a few of them. Granted, they need to be trained up. Most of them. Um. And granted, there is a difference in the way we communicate, men and women communicate, in what men think about and what women think about. And uh, But, you know, it just kind of, MGTOW, 
I don't know. MGTO here lately is just like uh, they're 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 seeming more and more like a bunch of whiny, uh, just a bunch of whiny guys that just don't know how to get laid. They don't know how to find a woman. They don't know how to deal with women. They don't want to deal with women. They've had bad experiences because maybe of their lack of skills and so forth. I don't know, but I'm just not totally dead set. And I know I may lose some friends tonight, but I'm just not totally dead set on MGTO. I mean, I kid a lot about being MGTO, but I'm not labeled as MGTO. I'm not a MGTO. Um, and we can talk about some of that during the interview about what I really am, but I'm not MGTO, MGTO, MGTO. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's changed a little bit since we first met, so I am proud of you. Um, I don't you share know, the disdain and hate for women. And that's what it's become, and I don't really think that that was what it was intended to be. It's become, it was supposed to be the opposite of feminism, you know, men men asserting their manlyhood, their male energy, and, you know, reestablishing that in society, and unfortunately, um, there's just too many pussified men, so... They end up hating women. Did you say pussified? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, there are there are a lot of pussified men out there who just don't really have anything that interesting to say, and they don't really have anything to do that's that interesting, and they're just really not that interesting. Period. And um, women get bored with them easy, I think. I've always said women like a man who knows where he's going, knows who he is, and standing on solid ground and has a lot of things going on in his life. Most women, anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the problem with that, you know, that a lot of us find these days is, you know, a lot of these men have been raised by single mothers, and so they carry around a lot of female energy, and uh, they don't really know how to be a man for what a woman wants, a strong woman that, woman who's intelligent or educated or, you know, um, a good woman. I mean, it's just really hard to find a good man now. And they want to be babied and they want to have their boo-boos kissed and they want to be told Mm -hmm. and they want to be read a story at night. I mean, they're getting to the point where it's just pathetic, just literally Mm -hmm. pathetic. And I know men have always had a feminine side and I know men have always had a sensitive side. Yes, yes, yes. But not to the point that it's, you know, this extreme point that we're going to today with MGTO. Well, and unfortunately, that is because of the feminists. You think so? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if we weren't forcing men to consider us equal, then maybe they'd still hold the car door open, or maybe they would still, you know, do those chivalrous things. I've noticed most men who... I've noticed most men who are raised with a single mother are abusive to women most of the time. In my experience, most of the time, they're abusive and disrespectful to women, don't know how to handle women. Really? That's what my, that's what my observations have been, yes. Um, and when I say handle women, that, that word pisses a lot of people off, but you do have to handle women. You do have to know how to handle women, and I think women have to know how to handle men. How do we handle men? 
this would be great. Well, you need to be somewhat independent and not so needy, but at the same time, you have to be loyal to a point, not to a fault with your man. And um, I think men are insecure. There again, we run back into the same old problem where men are embarrassed or they feel guilty if a woman makes more money than they do or has a better job than they do or a better position than they do. And there we go back to psychosis. There we go back to that. Um, these relationships, these very these 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 uh, relationships very seldom ever make it to see the light of day, where you carry all this excess baggage with you to a relationship. You just can't carry. Well, you can and you will carry all of this excess psychological baggage with you, just like you in your life or me in my life, we carry with us everything we've ever done. We carry with us everything that we are to the next relationship, if there might be one. We carry all of our baggage with us and throw it on the floor when we get there. Okay, now that I agree with, I agree with. And unfortunately, we do define the the next relationships, the people that we have relationships with after that. We define them, tend to define them based on our past relationships. Um, and I think that's something that's wrong, and I think it's something we shouldn't be doing. Um, but it is the way it is, and it's the way the world is, for the most part. So I think a lot of us need to learn how to deal with our baggage and pack it better before we can actually move on. But I want to, I want to get back to, I want to point out the fact that you kind of just contradicted yourself. So you were saying earlier about how, um, you know, women, it's, it's very, there's very few women that you can actually have a meaningful conversation with that will hold your attention, right? But then you go and say that men, there's not very many men out there that can do that. So I am a little confused as to your stance on that. Can you clarify? Well, I'm not just being pro-man here. I'm being person. I'm talking about people. Uh, But then again, we are talking about men and women both. I know that. Uh, Men are airheads. There's a lot of airheaded men out there. I mean, you know, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. And there are a lot of airheaded women out there, more so than men, because men have had a better opportunity. Men have had better education. Men have had a better stance in life. They've had more opportunity in life than women have. And that's carried over in the DNA. So, therefore, women have been at a severe disadvantage in life over the last uh, several thousand years, women have had a severe disadvantage. And then here, all of a sudden, the women's movement comes along, the suffrage movement comes along, and frees these women up to burn their bras and start to think for themselves a little bit. Most of them don't know how to handle that new fame fortune, uh, that new life. Most of them have to take time. They have to take time. They haven't been running things for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And here, all of a sudden, you've got women thinking for themselves. And okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Men, you've got nope. men thinking for themselves, too, because people, general commoners, weren't able to think for themselves. So just recently, just recently, were commoners, such as ourselves, able to think for themselves. Okay, and no, I'm sorry, but maybe it's because men have not been able 
to do it properly this whole entire time that we finally had to step up and take over and take control because look at look at the shit look at the shit hole we live in. Look at all the crap all men have done. Men. It's all about men. You want them to take the credits and take the blame too. Women have always been there for men's pleasure. No, we've always been recently. there for every <laughs> need. Recently. Nope, we've always no, been there I'm for every core about. need. Every core need, yeah. we've always been there. We raised you guys, for God's sake. And then what do you do? You go out and you destroy the world. But if you ask a man behind closed doors about that bitch, he'll tell you about that bitch. I mean, the whole thing is there's a two, it's a very two-faced world. It's a very two-faced world. Most men talk about their old lady in the garage, not like they talk about their old lady to their face. I can well, tell you nine out of ten men are that way. Nine out of ten men are that way. You know, right. it's like, oh, baby, I'll be back in a minute. Boy, that bitch really sucks when we yes, get to the garage, but, you know. But you know what? That's who he's coming home to at night, and that's all that matters, you know. That's the thing. You couldn't live without us. You guys can't live without the support and the caring and the nurturing and the comfort, and the loyalty that we do provide. So, you know, it's time for men, it's time for men and women to both step up and start being the the epitome of what they can be. And I think everybody, we were talking about complacency last week. I think that's the problem. Complacency is the problem. And nobody wants to do what they're supposed to do, whether it's gender role specific or not. But everybody needs to step up and start performing better in every every aspect. It's, it's just... um. You know, it's like when you walk into a room and everybody's in a bad mood. You're going to end up in a bad mood. Yeah. You know, so if everybody continues to... If the men I continue do not to, think, I do not believe men and women were meant to be together very long in a 24-hour period. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's oh, their role. Lord. I don't think that's their role and function to be together all the time. I think that's... What is... What, I want to hear this. What's their role and function? This would be great. Well, life in general, like it, it was with the hunters and gatherers. If you'll go back to the hunters and gatherers, um, you had the hunters and you had the gatherers. You had the hunter men, you had the gatherer women. You had the women taking care of the children. You had the children taking care of themselves and much more responsible than they are today. You had the men going out on the hunts and going to war and coming back. And then you had the reunion and the sex and the food and the feast. That's the way it really probably should be. And men and women yeah. together all the time during those hunter and gather periods for thousands and thousands of years. Now men and women are stuck in these little cubicles together, and they don't know what to do with each other. They haven't been trained. They haven't been taught. They haven't been bonded into their mm-hmm. tribe. They have no well, I, tribe. I don't know. I don't know about men specifically, but I think I just get tired of being around people not long in general. But I definitely need my my downtime, my my space. But Okay, so you let me ask you this. man up your ass 24 hours a day. <laughs> up in your ass. Well, no, a day. no, but I don't, I don't want anyone up in my ass 24 hours a day. But but the man that I love, you know, quote unquote, or the man that I am with and in a relationship with, you only spend maybe, I mean, how many hours could you possibly spend with somebody like that? You, you will go to work or they, he goes to work, you're, you're separated for most of the day, and, you know, really, how much time do you actually spend together? And the so problem you're is. you're tired, then you're tired, right. then you get home. It's not quality time like it used to be. You know, at the end of the day, for hunters and gatherers, they would, you know, like you said, they would go out on day and they would hunt and the women would gather and then they would cook and raise the kids and kids would go to bed and they would reunite and come together for quality time. There was nothing else to distract them. And so I don't think it's that we need to spend less time together. I think we need to spend more time, more quality time together instead of letting all these other distractions get in the way. 
<clears throat> well, that's you're not going to because it's, we've come too far, too, too done, too little, too late. I mean, there's too many cell phones, there's too many televisions, there's too many Xboxes, there's too many things to divide everyone today. Uh, right, but yet men and women still want to blame it on one another. That's of course. the part I don't understand. Of course, that's that's what they do. Right. They lash out. They lash out at each other. That's why we have so many divorces. That's why we have so many people in court right now that should not have ever been there in the first place. They should have never gotten married in the first place. They should have never had children in the first place. They should have never started a relationship in the first place. I meet people like this here in the Northwest all the time, and we meet a lot of people when we do go out. Um, They should have never started a relationship they have no idea what the art of relationship is and the science of relationship is. And that was actually going to be one of my questions for you tonight. What is your stance on marriage and kids and, you know, that whole... Well, I can't stand, can't stand kids, uh, can't stand marriage, don't believe in marriage. It's, uh, you know, it's just not, not the thing to do. It's not the oh, thing goodness. to do. Never was, never will be. You know, people always came together for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. People came together in a way far different way than we do today with all this formalistic bullshit, ritualistic bullshit, courthouse dance and dance. Uh, Never had that before. Never. You just went out and picked a mate in the woods and had a little get together under the tree. And, you know, it was more uh, animalistic than it is now, much more animalistic. I love how I ask you a question and you come out with this initial, you know, major shock value, right? Like you just, you hate marriage and you don't believe it and kids, you hate kids. And, you know, stop, you're so funny. Um, you have a daughter, I know, at least, right? I'm talking about your kids. I'm talking about <laughs> little, little kids. I'm talking about screaming, crying, <laughs> diaper shitting little kids. I don't have any use for whatsoever. I've done my time. And so, you know, yeah, kids are already here. You got to take care of them. You got to figure them out one way or the other, like Mm -hmm. it or leave it, like it or not. You got to figure it out. What are you going to do with them? You're going to drown them. You're going to keep them. You're going to house them. What are you going to do with them? But the truth is that you do believe in in some sort of um, family unit, Tyler. It kind of makes me sick to my stomach, but yeah. Some kind of family unit, but it kind of makes me just sick to my stomach. The whole thing makes me sick to my stomach. But yeah, why is that? Yeah, I just why? Does. That? Why? why? It, it, it what happened does. to you? No, we're gonna kids screaming, into. screaming kids, spoiled kids. I see them today. They're running. They're jumping. They're pulling their hair. They're holding their breath. They've got a self plastic cell phone hanging out of their mouth and pacifier stuck in their ass. I just can't stand it. <laughs> kids today are rotten to the core, and I've got plenty of people that'll agree with me. Plenty of people that will agree with me, and they're with parents that don't need to be parents. They're with parents that don't know how to parent in the first place. So the whole thing makes me sick. I'd rather see kids out in the wild shooting arrows at monkeys out of trees. I'd rather see kids swimming in the pond in the creek. I'd rather see kids hunting and hiking. I'd rather see kids riding horses and out in the garden. I'd rather see kids gathering hen eggs out from underneath the hen. Those old-fashioned things. Get the kids out of the house. Let them live. Let them grow. I don't like these pent-up kids that are stuck in these concrete boxes that are called ADHD, which is complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. Kids need to get out. They need to roam. They need to hike. They need to hunt. They need to fish. 
So once again, I'm hearing conflicting responses because I think that you have nothing against kids themselves. I think your problem is with the parents. I think my problem is with the parents. Um, and I think my problem is what the kids have turned into by the parents. I'm very much against what these kids have turned into and are turning into because of their monstrous parents who don't know how to get along, who don't know how to hold a conversation. Uh, You know, all they can do is have sex and make more babies. I know a lot of people like that. That's they're great at having sex and making more babies. You know, they're great at misspending money. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. they're great at not saving money. They're great at not knowing how to run a household. Um, So, you know, yeah, there needs to be some way that we can talk over public radio like we're doing tonight and kind of kind of bash people's heads in uh get this going where we can talk to people about this tell people about this it's not going to do a whole lot of good but we have to voice our opinion uh because we've both been there you and i have had our time in court we've had our kids we kind of know what's going on with the relationship thing so we need to be talking to other people about what not to do or what not to do again if you if you're thinking about doing it again be very careful how you tread in those waters because it doesn't take a half a second to have a kid it takes a yeah. lifetime to raise one it doesn't yeah. take a second to have one and uh all of this marriage stuff you just need to get rid of marriage and learn how to find a a friend that will grow into a companion this is growth this growth is beautiful you find friends and you cull the herd. You cull the herd and you cull the herd and you cull the herd. Someone will come along. Someone will be standing by your side. And then you just take a long time to process that and think about that. And uh, you might become best friends. And you might become best friends. And you might stay best friends for life. And Let that's, me ask beautiful. You that's beautiful. Let me ask you something. Do you think that you can have that? Do you think that many of these couples, you know, that are having, they're going through divorces and can no longer, you know, hold up a marriage um, the way it was intended to be, do you think that any of that has to do with, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> with um, just the, the lack of, of everything that you were talking about, you know, the way it could raise you, the change and all of that? It all has to come, it all has to culminate somehow. And do you think that they can, best friends and then have marriage itself to see actual act of getting married destroy it all yes of course it'll destroy it all of course it does it has i'm 60 years old and i've had a lot of experience i've went to a lot of weddings i used to play weddings i used to be a karaoke master i had my own sound equipment and everything and i played a lot of weddings and i've had a lot of friends marriage always ruins it 90% of the time marriage ruins it if it ain't broke don't try and fix it you know it's like oh we've been together six years we've been together seven wonderful years we've decided to get married no why do you think that is though why do you think that psychologically i think it puts a rope around your neck psychologically i think it brings a lot of definition to that relationship that shouldn't be there a lot of uh false definition Um, I think it puts a lot of responsibility on you that's not supposed to be there. Um, 
You just need Wait, to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I don't understand that. I don't understand. See, this is something that I've been trying to trying to figure out because, you know, I'm a very analytical person. So oh, the white fence get... and the dog and the picket fence and the White House type of thing. It brings that kind of thinking to you, and that's but where not do you, life. It brings where a do you fantasy think those kind of life to you. It brings a fantasy life to you. It brings a fantasy. It's not real. It's not reality. It's not hardcore, right. shitty reality. Right, but we, where do you think that those false expectations or that false entitlement came from? Our culture. Our culture. We've grown this culture. The, the the attorneys, the lawyers, the judges, the courts, the CPS uh, people, the different agencies that deal with child welfare and family welfare have grown this culture. We have grown this culture out of dysfunction. We're very dysfunctional culture, very, very dysfunctional culture, very dysfunctional. And we need to take a seat back and look at that dysfunction. We need to take a hard look at that dysfunction and say, you know what? We are fucked up. We are really really fucked up and we need to fix it instead we try to pretend that we're not fucked up we try to pretend that everything is okay we try to pretend Mm -hmm. that everything is normal and it's not normal we are fucked up bunch of people in every what happened to hunter then what happened to hunter gatherers where did we go wrong Industrialization and capitalism is where we went wrong. You know, with the scientific era is when we went wrong, when we started thinking about ourselves and we started thinking about our image and we started thinking about our psychological processing unit up there and our brain and our neurology and we started studying and learning about biology and chemistry and industrialization came and just fucked everything up. We became consumer-crazed people. Instead of hunter-gatherers, we became consumers, and that's what screwed us all up is is this. Because when you have nothing to do but consume, you lose your sense of intellect. You lose your sense of wisdom. You lose your sense of pride. You lose your sense of who you really are at the base. Okay. When you're nothing but a consumer, that's all you are, you're a machine. You go out and you work eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day. The government takes half of your money or more, and you're a consumer. You go to Walmart, and you fill your baskets up with junk and junk and more junk, and the kids have junk and junk and more junk and toys that they don't need, and you're nothing but a consumer. That's all you do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year is consumed. And you consume to live. That's where we went wrong. Just like in the education department, these kids should be taken out of the classroom and placed into the open air. They should be placed into the open air and they should be allowed to do what they do best, whatever their gift might be. And we should have enough teachers and volunteers and teachers' aides and advocates to be able to allow children to blossom into who they really are, to blossom into who they, who they can be, their fullness, the fullness of those children. But mm-hmm. now, them up, turning them into what? Little consumers, little consumer jackasses, little spoiled, rotten jackasses. Mm-hmm. Because they're not able to get out of that concrete box. They're not able to get out and do what kids 
need to do, and that's roam free, be free. They found tribes in South America where kids raised themselves. They don't have to be told what to do. They don't have to be told when to come in. They don't have to be told when to go out. They don't have to be told when to clean up. They raised themselves, and they're happy, and the parents are happy. There's not this continuous bond with the kids all the time, this sick, sick, dysfunctional bond. Have you seen parents that just glean at their kids, and there's this super sicky bond going on with these kids? You go to South America, and you look at these kids roaming free in the jungle, and it's totally different. Totally different. Okay, so I want to say- clarify. I want to clarify for everyone kind of what you're saying because I'm actually in the chat um, over here on the, uh, the radio where we're broadcasting right now on Talk Show. And um, I, I think that there's some confusion. So I want to clarify what you're saying. I mean, and I think that there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I do. Because I think that over time we have developed into a very self-centered and self-absorbed society where it has corrupted generations and generations of our children to the extent that we don't see them. We don't see them, we don't see them flourish into the potential that they have, unfortunately. You know, we don't go out and play. I remember when, even when I was younger, even when I was younger, you know, I'd go out and I would have to be outside until the streetlights went off. You know, that was part of like our culture, you know, of being raised. It was part of the family. You played outside, you got dirty, you know, we weren't so worried about, germs and antibacterial, you know, soap and, you know, hand wash and all this stuff. I mean, it was just, it was much more about just living. And I think over time we've lost that, that value, that moral, that concept. And I do believe that it has to do a lot with the parents that, that raise us, you know, whether it was because they were forced into two, two jobs or, you know, two incomes or whatever, you know, married millennials, uh, millennials are the, probably the worst because the millennials have been stuck in this dysfunction for so long. And the millennials raise dysfunctional, and the majority of millennials raise dysfunctional children that are dysfunctional in one way or another. Uh, but kids do have these special gifts that they never let out. They never get out because they're not able to roam free. And uh, they have so many special gifts that go unnoticed because they're not able to roam free. And there again, it takes a lot of thinking to, to grasp what I'm saying, because people are so used to being locked up in the concrete jungle, locked up in these little cubicles we call apartments and houses and trailers. Right. They're not used to being... Of life. And when I lived in Mexico, and, and I was down there for a year, when I lived down there, the culture was different. People worked, you know, they, they did what they had to do during the week, and then they took off for the weekend. The family, they were always with family or friends. Yeah. You know, it's just a different culture. It's a different respect for each other as human beings and, and appreciation for, for each other. You know, a lot of these people don't really know what's going on that are in chat. They really don't know what's going on in the world that are in chat. Because I'm out there, way. I'm out there on the boards with the juvenile. I'm, I'm out there on the, the court, uh, juvenile court. I'm out there on the boards for family development. I'm out there on the boards for mental health. I'm out there dealing with the mental mm-hmm. health community and the advocates and the activists and right in the middle of all of this with children. So I know what's going on. I'm surrounded by these mentally ill people every single uh, day of the week. I'm just down the road from where we go to the board meetings and the people are always here and we're always there. 
So, yeah, you have to be in it to see it. You can't just yeah. be with your family at home and have a kind of a one-world view of how life is. You have to well, be yeah, able to think, think that, about there's 7 billion people in the damn world. And I think that's a lot of it what it comes down to. You know, a lot of a lot of people tend to get um, defensive. You know, well, I don't, I don't do this, or I don't, I don't treat my husband like that, or I don't treat my wife like that, or I don't, um, you know, or, or I don't raise my child like that. You know, they get defensive so quickly. But it's not necessarily about them. They may be doing the right thing. But right, it's part, not about them. It's about the majority of people in the real world. And we can look at the divorce rate. We can look at how many families are being damaged today. We can look at how many people are in court today, and everybody can just sit down and shut the fuck up. If we really look at the numbers, they are staggering. They are staggering. Right, and for, for the most part, that's what made you into, and who you are, you know, this really rough, abrasive kind of guy with, you know, looks like he has a chip on his shoulder, sort of bitter-ish, <laughs> but it's just a matter of, of literally, you know, wearing you down, and I can see how it can happen, and so many people don't want to um, open their eyes to the fact that there are many, many people who have been yeah, so worn down by this but they're not, they're no longer fun to be around sometimes. You know, they, they get to the point where they just hate life. Yeah, um, and here again, I want to go back to the, I want to go back to the chat. People who, people who don't get out very much have these kinds of limited, narrow-minded <clears throat> attitudes about life. People that don't get out of the house very much. People that don't get out and are not that inclusive in a very diverse, highly diverse and charged community, and we are. So that really makes the difference in the delivery of what I'm trying to say versus those that are trying to listen, you know, that are myopic. There again, I'll take you back to those court statistics every time, those forensic statistics every time, those homicide statistics every time, those family matters issues every single time here in the United States. And you would be you would be literally thrown out of your chair if you could comprehend the numbers of people that are suffering, that could comprehend okay, the number of juvenile delinquents that are in trouble, that could comprehend the, wonderful, the number of yeah. divorces that are happening. The wonderful side that I know about you is even though you may come across and you may, you may seem like you hate the world and you hate everyone and, and you, you know, you are, you may come across one way, but the thing is, is that I know that you have ideas for solutions. I know that you believe in um, a vision, and and you have ideas for how we can, oh, yeah. and how we can, and how we can be happier. And so, I'd like to hear some of those ideas. I'd like to give people an insight that not everyone gets to see that I've got, that I've been allowed to see, and I want them to see and hear what it would look like for you, because I, you, you do have a, a really nice um, side and a sensitive side, but it's not just sensitive. <laughs> it's not sensitive. Yeah, it's not sensitive to the, to the same way that most people think of the word sensitive. It's a sensitive. It's a sensitivity to humanity, and you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. You've spent a lot of time thinking about the things that you don't portray people, yourself as, which are love and also, kindness. People also need to realize how much time I spent in homicide, and how much time I spent in forensic science and the funeral <laughs> business and the crematorium business, burning adults and seniors and babies, and how much time I spent in family services how much time I spent as an advocate in mental health, how much time I spent as an advocate on the street and an activist for homeless people all over the United States, how many halfway houses I've worked in, how many felons I've worked with, 
how many families that are that are separated and dysfunctional that I've worked with, how many mentally retarded people that I've worked with and saved from going into a special home for needs. So, yeah, they need to understand my background and where I come from and what I've done and where I've walked before they make those kinds of judgments. I've been there where most people will never mm-hmm. tread. Now, what we need to do in the U.S., these churches need to get off their ass, their arse, and they need to go to work, and they need to jump up front and center into this new millennial culture, and they need to help out. They need to strengthen the communities. I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about using these churches as a platform for family development, a platform for social development, a platform for child development, a platform for community gardening, teaching people what wisdom is really all about, teaching people what family is really all about, teaching people about their rights and their liberty and their justice for all. The churches are not being used in the proper way. The churches are not being ran in the proper way. The scripture is not getting us anywhere. Preaching about John and Jacob and Jimmy and Betty and Joe and Tom and what happened 4,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago and 1,000 years ago is not helping the family any. And it's not helping all of It's not helping the family any only because it's being so, um, it's being so perverted. You know, we have people that go to church on, on Sundays and then they go out and they do horrible, horrible things or they, you know, are using their children and claiming to be a part of a church or, you know, it, that's the problem with it is that people are no longer taking those core beliefs and those core values and applying them in their everyday life. They're perverting them. The other thing is old people are dying out, the ones who love Scripture and the ones who love to sit mm-hmm. in a boring church and listen to a boring pastor and go to sleep. They're dying out. The new kids are on the block, and they are bored with church. They are bored to tears. I just looked at a couple of recent surveys about the millennials. They're dropping out of church at an alarming rate. I mean an alarming rate they're dropping out because well, they don't see any purpose in it. They don't see right. any purpose in it. Well, think of what's happened with the Catholic Church and the big scandals there, and all the other churches have been nothing but scandals for the last 20 years. You know, we, we trusted our children and we entrusted these children, our children, with these pastors and these, these priests, and, and they, they literally abused them. And so what has become of the church recently? I mean, it's just, it's not unfathomable as to why that's going on. It's not unfathomable as to why people have turned their back on core values and beliefs and precepts in this country. And we need to get the state and the feds out of the family business, and we need to do it now. We need to get the state and the feds out of the family business, period. They do not belong in family business. I'd rather see the churches running family business. As much as I hate religion, I'd rather see the churches running the family business than to see the state and the feds running the family business. Hey, Kyler. Hello. Tom. Tom Euford here. Hey, hey Euford, Tom? what's going on? Not much. Sorry, I joined in late. It's been a busy That's okay. Day. So what are we talking? Yeah, about? my daughter. My daughter turned out good. Somebody's asking in chat how my daughter turned mm-hmm. out. She's beautiful. Uh, you she can did. see a Facebook picture of her. I've, uh, uh, Tracy's seen her picture. She's sexy. She's beautiful. She's smart. <laughs> she's witty. She's wisdom. Full of wisdom. She's a firecracker. She's independent. She's independent. 
strong. She's got a good personality. Yep. Uh, you don't mess with her. You don't mess with her. She's um, working as an international private investigator. But Glad she's tough. She's, yeah. She's tough. She's rough. She will tell you like it is. I'm telling you, she's one person you do not want to piss off. Not even in the least. Not even in the least. Not even in wonder, passing. I wonder where she gets it from. <laughs> we need more people like that in the world. Yes, we do. And I think that that's the one thing that everyone can appreciate that's listening is that, you know, his daughter is the epitome of what we would consider a warrior. And um, I, I commend him and his daughter well, both. They grew up both. in the bottle. They grew up on, uh, on cow's tits. They grew up in the country on cow's tits. They grew up in the rough country. And, right. uh, you know, they were swimming when they were born. I threw them in the lake when they were born. I was right out of the womb. They were swimming. And people were going, oh, my God, kids can't swim at that age. And I'm going, watch me. I'm really glad that Tom called because Tom, out of anybody, I think, knows you better than anyone. And so now that we've shifted these tables and I surprised you with our our, um, direction, I think that Tom is a great addition. So thank you for calling, Tom. Tom has the show or had the show. And let me me add this, too, with Tom here. I do not hate the family unit. I love the family (laughs) unit. I wish we could go back to the family unit as I knew it in the 60s. I wish we could go back to that kind of psychos that psychological realm, that sociological realm. Pardon me. Um, we didn't have a lot of psychosis back then. We didn't have a lot of stranger danger back then. We weren't cooped up in a box back then. So I may be looking at this all wrong. I may be coming at this from a completely different perspective. I grew up on a cow's tit. I grew up on a goat's tit. I grew up with my own horses, my own cows, my own chickens, my own guineas, my own pigs. I grew up castrating little pigs. When I was four years old, I was learning to castrate little pigs for Owen Sausage. When I was five years old, I was riding Bronx, baby Bronx. I was on the horse, man. I was on the combine. When I was 14 years old and can barely hit the pedal, I was on the corn combine. And we were in the fields. And we grew up riding our horses to school. We grew up doing chores before school and chores after school, but they weren't even considered chores. They were considered just a part of the family unit. I was hunting with a gun, my own gun, when I was 11 years old. I was hunting with my own 20-gauge and my own 410 with a choke on it, a shotgun. I was out in the field, and I could stay out all day and half the night, and my parents never worried about me with a gun. I was fishing. I was hunting. I was camping. I was hiking. I was driving a pickup truck when I was 14. I was driving a tractor when I was 14. And uh, these kids today need to live free. They need to live free, and they will not live free because of this culture. Because what we are doing to our children, we are abusing our children with this culture. It is one of the most abusive cultures in the history of mankind. Besides when we sacrificed children to the Incas, and the Mayas sacrificed children and had uh, human sacrifice. This is the most abusive culture known to mankind today. Locking these poor kids up in concrete jungle, um, putting them in these boxes and giving them a fucking skateboard and a cell phone and expecting that to help them through life. Well, and the, sad um, part of, the sad part about it is that they're so spoiled, they break a fingernail or they stub a toe and their whole world just shatters, okay? And they they do not know, um, they, they have no concept whatsoever of sacrifice and adversity. 
Um, and the ones that do, society locks them up or shuns them. And that's the sad part about it. We no longer teach our kids. You know, Kyler and I have had this conversation many times mm-hmm. on my radio show. Um, uh, we no longer um, teach our kids to think for themselves. We no, no longer expose them to the realities of life. We shelter them. Every kid gets a trophy for participating. Well, I'm sorry, that sucks, okay? There are winners and there are losers, and you learn from that experience to become better, okay? And the other thing is when you have this... I just want to point something out. That's really amazing that Tom can vocalize the exact same thing that you were just saying, only not sound so vulgar. He just made it sound perfectly, like... (laughs) Typically great and wonderful, and somehow it just sounded so harsh to me, Tyler. Well, that's what, that's, what talk radio, that's what talk radio is all about, and that's why I have this show, and that's why I've been on air for six years and done over 1,500 shows is because we say mm-hmm. it like it is. Everybody has different personalities, and everybody should be respected, like Tom and I respect each other for our different mm-hmm. personalities. I have one way of saying things. Tom has another way of saying things. That's why we're so damn good on air together. We never very seldom ever correct each other in our way of presenting something or uh, right. making a presentation or saying something because that's very rude to do on air to a coach. I wasn't, hey, and I wasn't, I was not correcting um, you whatsoever. I love, kids, no, wait. I love the fact that you can do that, and I love the fact that you're like that because you say it a lot of ways, a lot of ways that a lot of people would want to say it, right, Tom? And some of us just don't say it that way. I wanted to point out that we can agree and just we vocalize the agreement in different ways. So I was pointing out. And again, you have to understand where I come from. I don't want to go through it again. I just did on the air a while ago about right. my background. You have to right. understand the death and the dying and the suffering and the pain that I've come from and the right. place right. that I've come from. And working as an undercover agent and consultant advisor all those years undercover, you have to understand the trauma that I've gone through. And uh, I love kids. I love kids. I'm just so sorry for them. I'm just so sorry for them, what they're, what, what they're having to endure and I was going to say a while ago, dysfunctional parents equal dysfunctional kids. Most of the time, most of the time, dysfunction breeds dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is a problem. This is a problem. When you've got parents cursing each other out, when you've got parents shooting the finger at each other, when you've got parents kicking and screaming, when you've got parents arguing constantly around their kids, when you've got all of this drinking and drug addiction going on, you're going to have dysfunctional kids. There's no way around it. And that is so prevalent today. That is happening everywhere today. Everywhere. Thank you. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry, I didn't mean to Well, and, and I agree completely. Um, I mean, my life was not um, privileged by any means, but it was certainly blessed uh, compared to others. Um, I mean, all you have to do is read my book, Adversity Builds Character, and you'll see the the crap that I've survived. But at the same time, my life is nothing compared to what other kids in this world have had to survive. Um, And and I take that to heart. Um, You know, it's like I wrote, um, your problems are as big as mountains to you and may seem like molehills to me. But that doesn't make them any less problems, uh, and we should be able to. I mean, I remember Grandma saying, "You know, you walk in a man's shoes until you find a man who has no feet." Uh, and I love that story, and it's it's um, it, it's the truth 
and you know this line has been used many times um, from To Kill a Mockingbird. You have to step in a man's skin and walk around in it. Um, and unfortunately, we're not taking the time to do that anymore. And did we lose Tom? I think he did. Summer. Try to get Tom back. Yeah, I talk to kids. I talk to kids all the time up here in our juvenile program, and we talk about sex, and we talk about religion, and we talk about education, and we talk about relationships, and we talk about mom and dad. And we talk about the world in general. And I'm always open and honest with these kids. And they always tell me, you know, I've never had this conversation before. Never. And I say, what do you mean? And they say, you're so honest with us. You're so damned honest with us. And you don't get all hyped up about the small things that we do. The small things that we say. You know, the part of the culture that's just being kids that's different than the way my generation was. I don't get all pissed off at them for being kids. Um, So kids are kids. Let them be kids. Let them have their slang. Let them do their sexting and texting. Let them have their mistakes. They have their mistakes. You know what I mean? Kids make mistakes. That's normal. That's just a part of growing up, you know? Yeah. Okay, I guess that kids make mistakes, but we can also, uh, you know, we can't just let them run free. We can't just do the thing, let them do whatever they, the hell they want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you Tyler. To, to, a, to a certain point, you have to, yes, because they'll do it behind your back, and I'm very well-versed with kids. Believe me, I'm very well-versed with kids. They will do it behind your back. They will go and do it ten times more if you tell them not to. They're going to prove that they're going to, by God, do it, and they're going to get it done. I guess that doesn't mean that we don't. That does not mean that we don't try to teach them right from wrong. Oh, we don't sure, teach them over and over again. Sure, it's just the way that you go about it. It's the way that you go about it. You can't force them to change. You can't legislate morality with a kid or with a common. Absolutely, that I agree with. But you still have to teach them Legis- as much as we can. Morality with anyone, and never underestimate a kid. 11 years old, never underestimate their Thank brain. You. They're very smart. They are so smart. Mm-hmm. Kids, parents tend to think their kids are ignorant. This is a misnomer. This is a misnomer. Your kids are so brilliant at 14 years old. If you just tap into that brilliance, you will see it. If well, you're you able know, to, if you have the wisdom. Kyler, if you all ever get a chance to read the book Nurtured by Love by Shinichi Suzuki. He was the founder of the violin, the children's violin method. And he wrote the book and started his whole movement that just opened the tidal waves of how smart children are, not only with learning languages, learning arts, learning talents, etc. But he did it because there's this remote town this remote village in northern Japan, on the northernmost islands of Japan. And interestingly enough, no matter what kind of a linguistic expert you were, no matter how you um, uh, were talented in linguistics, no one could quite get the accent down and the linguistics correctly. But But children born in that village picked it up perfectly. Of course, and so you know it's you know it's environment versus um, 
nurture versus environment. Um, and he created this whole, um, uh, you know, mental philosophy that revolutionized um, the way people thought about children. Um, and so people today who think that their kids are ignorant or stupid, they're sponges. They are soaking in everything. They pick up everything they hear, everything they see, and that's the reason you can be a major influence to the positive and to the negative of a child, just by your words and actions. Yep, our example, by being the example. We can tell some we can tell our child to not touch a hot stove all we want, but if we go and burn ourselves on purpose, then they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to us. It's about right. being the example. Right, 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 right. Exactly, Tracy. Well, how many times when we were taught kids don't stick your finger in the light socket. Right, but then we go plug and button shit in. Exactly. You don't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And the other problem we have right now with the kids is their disrespect of the older generation. We have a major problem across the United States, and I'll just stick with the U.S. because I'm here uh, most of the time. Sometimes I'm Canada, but I'm from Canada back here. Um, but we have a major problem with disrespect, elder disrespect, and I think that comes from the culture. I think that's being spawned out of the culture, uh, this major disdain for anything wise or older or senior is being drilled out of our kids today, and it's just a part of the fast-paced consumer culture that's doing it. We don't have the hunter-gatherer spirit anymore. We don't have the village mentality, the tribe mentality anymore, where grandmother's there and cousins and nephews and uncles and nieces are there together under the same roof, sleeping in the same room together. Um, we just don't have that anymore. And, well, and uh, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know that the older generations are teaching the younger generations about respect. I mean, I was taught... Well, they've given up. A lot of the ones I've talked to, Tom, are giving giving up. They see it and they just throw their hands up. They just throw their hands up and go, what the fuck is this? Well, I was taught when I was a child, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, sir, thank you, ma'am. And, um, you know, I I would be sitting in a room full of adults, um, and the adults would be talking. um, And I was to sit there and listen. And if I had a question, I waited for a lull in the conversation and inserted, you know, may I ask a question? Now, that's not to say that I wasn't constantly, you know, pining for attention, as most children are, but I was also taught to be respectful of my elders. Um, and Well, we grew up, you and I grew up in a different era, Tom. I know, I know. I mean, we grew up in an era where children should be seen and not heard. It's kind of a, kind of a joke in a way, but it was also kind of real in a way. Kids should be seen but not heard. I grew up hearing that Same from here. my uncle all the time, you know. And I had to wait my turn to get in, too, and I'd sit under the furniture and listen to the adults talk. You know, that was my spot. I loved I loved being under the furniture when I was little. And uh, I would just sit and listen, and, boy, I took everything in. I learned, you know, from listening to the adults. That's how you learn to be such and, a good undercover agent, yes. Yeah, and I was also very inclusive. My my parents were very inclusive with me. I was very inclusive in all the deaths that happened in our family, all the cancer deaths and everything, all the pain and suffering that went through our family, which we had a tremendous amount of dying going on when I was young for some reason. 
And um, I learned all about death at a very early age. I, I learned about pain. I learned about suffering. I learned about sacrifice. And um, I grew up in a town where everybody helped each other, build the barn back if it burned down, build the house back if it fell down, go take soup to the sick and the injured neighbor and take care of them until they got well, loan them your pasture for cattle grazing. Um, I grew up in a town where we uh, cross-promoted, if you will, we were there for each other. We knew each other, and we had community. We had true you had and community, lasting yes, I was just community. about to say. And these kids today do not have a clue what real community is. The majority of these kids do not have a clue what real community mm. really means today. Tracy. No, I, I absolutely I agree with you, and that's part of the problem that I'm having, you know, being in this the arena that I'm in is that, you know, there's just no respect for the family and there's no sense of community and there's no value in, in being in, in the parent anymore or in the grandparents. I mean, the fact that we even have to deal with a society where, you know, 85 year old grandparents are having to work to feed themselves when they should be right. home taking care of our kids and passing on their wisdom and, you know, being part of the village that raises them. You and know, the other, the other, the other big problem, even with kids in college, they don't understand community. Uh, our kids in university don't understand true community and true union. They've never seen unity. They've never seen community. In most cases, now some have come from country communities like I did, but the majority have never seen real community. And they're very disrespectful. They're very confused. Uh, they're full of psychosis. They're full of all kinds of problems. They're full of all kinds of excess baggage they're carrying around with them. And here they are trying to go to university and graduate and get out into the real world. It's a catastrophe any way you look at it. It's a total catastrophe any way you look at it. Well, you have to understand that the, the culture of universities and the culture of colleges has changed so drastically as well. I mean, I remember showing up to... I remember showing up to campus one day, and there was a no-conformity rally going on. But the problem was is that every single person that was there protesting conformity was wearing a freaking shirt that said no conformity. And they were conforming to non-conformity. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's the kind of screwed-up mentality that we have in a culture in these days. You know, everybody wants to fight for something, but no one wants to fight for something together. Well, and, of and course, of you it, know, when you start... A lot, a, lot, a lot of that came about, I mean, when I started working on Capitol Hill during the Reagan administration, the me generation started happening. It was all about mm -hmm. me. And, you know, I grew up, my adopted family taught me the importance of giving back. My Jesuit educators taught me the importance of the phrase from the French Revolution, noblesse oblige, where if God has granted you and blessed you, with wealth, position, title, or education, you have an obligation to give back to your fellow man um, uh, and share, pay it forward, pay it backwards. You have an obligation. It wasn't all about you. There were people that sacrificed and helped you get where you were, and you have an obligation to pass that on. Yeah. Yeah, we need more talk radio like this, and there's a lot of it going on out there, tremendous amount of talk radio, good talk radio going on out there that just says it like it is, lay the cards on the table, uh, throw the pie in your face. I mean, that's what people need today. They don't need to be 
pablum puked. They don't need to be babysat today. We have a lot of folks today who are not real adults. They just think they are. They're not real adults. So we have that problem. We haven't talked about a lot. The parents are still children. You've got a lot of children raising children, and this is a major, major problem here in the U.S., children raising children. Uh, and, you know, we're having girls now, which they have been forever, having babies at 12 or 13, 14, 15 years old. Babies who's going to pay babies. for Yeah. Who's going to pay for that? You know, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to take care of those millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of care? Uh, well, we already know the state, you know, is going to do that. And a while ago when I said the state needs to get out of the family business, boy, do I mean it. Uh, but as I talked to Tracy about the other day, we are letting the state into the family business because of the mentality of the parents. They are not uh, power-driven. They are not self-endowed with power. Uh, so therefore, they let the state in as a nanny. Uh, they suck off the teat of the state. They're used to the state. They're used to the government being there for them all the time. Most of them are on food stamps or welfare or some type of housing or some type of uh, some type of welfare. So they're used to sucking off the teat of the state. Yeah, so therefore they this. think the kids are going to suck off the teat of the state, and therefore they think the state is God. The state is their God. Go ahead, Tracy. Well, we talked about this when it comes to you know the family law arena, and I'm the first to always say, to always come straight out and say, look, if you're going to go and have someone else decide, you know, how you're going to be a parent and tell you when and and how and where you're going to parent your children. Well, then that's, that starts with you. I mean, I'm not saying that both parents decide to do that. Obviously, one normally goes and files paperwork. But the bottom line is, is that parents are not holding, holding themselves or others accountable to that responsibility that we have to just be parents. We have to go and have, you know, a judge tell us how to do it and when to do it. And we do. We put that in the state's hands. but we really don't, we need to stop doing that. We need to get back out of the state hands and grab a hold of that stuff that's ours, our rights, our children, you know, the things that we've allowed them to have control over. We need to take it back. Well, I was going to say, I'll be the first to say that it's very hard to make it in today's society. Um, it's not like living on the farm and having your own vegetable garden and milking your own cows and having your own water out of the well and being able to walk two paces to the store. It's it's hard to live in society today with rent starting at nine hundred and fifty a month and going up to fourteen, fifteen, seventeen hundred a month and your insurance for your car and your title and your registration and your gas and your water and your electric and your insurance and all these other compensated bills that come with it, personal care, personal items, children's items, personal care for children. I mean, this runs into you know, just to basically live is twenty five hundred a month. Just to basically get by, most people don't draw that on Social Security. Nowhere near that. Even on pension, they don't draw that. So it takes two families to work. I'm mean, not two families. Well, that wouldn't be a bad idea either, having two or three families hunch up together. But two people to work, and this leaves the kids at home, latchkey kids by themselves. And um, this presents a problem right off the bat, which is the state, if you want to talk about conspiracy – uh, a lot of people have said that the state and the feds and the New World Order have planned it this way to divide the family, which I wouldn't doubt whatsoever. 
to divide the family and keep them divided and let the kids become a ward of the state. They purposely want the kids to become a ward of the state. So there's something for you to think about, Tracy, which I know you've already thought about. Yeah, I absolutely Uh, agree with you. I don't think this is a gender issue anymore. I don't think this is about, you know, men or women. I don't. I think this is a money issue for our government. And I think that they're the ones that are causing the division. And they're the ones that are that are that are basically to blame for it. It's the culture that they've created. Yeah, and we're in it. It's hard to see it when you're in it. It's hard for the fish to see the water because the fish is in the water. Right. It's hard for us to see our own culture. It's hard for us to see and discover our own dysfunction because we want to be right and we want to be perfected and we want to be balanced and we want to be good. And um, those things override our ability to see reality. As well, and Tom, Tom ran, Tom ran for president, right? Tom, you ran for president, mm-hmm. or you were, yeah. So, I mean, from a governmental-ish or aspect or whatever, from a political standpoint, you know, what's going on at the Hill? Like, how are we viewed? Are we viewed as just cute parents who can't co-parent, or are we somehow on the right track by believing that it's a, it's a, a corruption of, of government? Well, I think people expect government to solve all of their problems, um, and they 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 think that they're owed that because of their tax dollars. Well, you know, um, Kyler and I, and I and I'm sure you too, grew up in an era where our families taught us that, you know, I felt guilty at one point for asking for. It was a matter of pride that we tried to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We didn't expect other people to help us out. And I can still point to people today that lets their pride get in the way. Now, my disabilities rapidly changed that attitude because I realized there's a hell of a lot of stuff I can't do by myself anymore. But you know what? People ask me, can I help you with that? And I'll say, let me try it myself first, and if I need help, I'll ask for it. <clears throat> like, for example, I'll be sitting at a dinner table, and I'll have a steak, and I will be cutting my steak. And someone will see that it takes me time and that it, 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 it is a struggle. And someone will say, can I help you with that? And I said, I appreciate the offer, but it keeps me in practice. I'm not going to let my um, disabilities or my lack of physical ability deter me and become dependent to the point where I can't be independent. And I think a part of that is pride. I think a part of that is self-pity. But it's also that we've, we've, we've come to expect that Dependency is a natural thing. Um, You know, no man is an island. I get that. But at the same time, um, you learn from your mistakes. You learn from your adversities. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I firmly believe that. Yeah, I definitely do believe that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger in one way or another, or you just give up. 
I've talked to a lot of folks this week on Facebook who are just giving up. A couple want to just end it all and commit suicide. And I'm still yeah, dealing with them as of tonight. I've been dealing with them as of today, as a matter of fact. And um, some people can handle adversity, and it does make some people stronger. But then we have a whole slew of people who just kill themselves. Okay, they can't that's, deal that, with that, that bothers me, too, because we have the highest, you know, highest suicide rate right now than we ever have among our veterans, number one, and number two, veterans that are parents who are being kept from their children and. And I appreciate your answer, Tom, I do, but at the same time, I'm not really sure you answered it completely. And I guess I just want to know, like, you know, we all know that there's corruption. We all do. So how do we combat that? And it's not just in family court. Tom, Tom, is not as, Tom is not at all as familiar with the corruption that you are and I am in the court system. That has not been his specialty at all. There's not even, it's not, I'm talking about the courts. I'm talking about the Federal Reserve. I'm talking about with the New World Order. I mean, the, the stuff that's going Tom, on behind the scenes. Tom is, not, Tom is not a conspiracy theorist. He's learning. <laughs> okay, well... He's, he has a political background, and he has a governmental background, so he's got to know he has what's the going standard, on. He has the standard basic tie your shoe, one, two, three, political background that's kind of in the in the mainstream background. He doesn't have the black ops background or the dark state background or the NWO background or the cabal background. Mm. So he's coming from a totally different perspective, but boy, is he learning fast. He's learned a lot over the last couple of years being with me. I guess you won't have an opinion on my title for the VA disability. No. Stuff and, um, uh, okay. I know yeah. Tom so well, I'm talking for him. <laughs> no, and, and, and Kyler's absolutely right. Um, I am learning a lot. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like we've heard so much lately. We all get um, complacent in our little bubbles because it's safe. And uh, we get content with how things are, um, and we don't expand outside of our bubbles uh, because it's challenging, it's difficult, it's scary, um, and we don't realize that those are learning experiences. Sure, they're a pain in the ass, they're tough, um, and they kick you in the butt, um, but, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite lines from my first book, Adversity Builds Character, is life is as life is. You either accept it, you change it, or you let it kill you. But sitting around bitching about it doesn't do anybody any good, least of all yourself. Mm-hmm. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. And I definitely have grown a lot in, you know, the just by the year that I've been, well, over a year I've been dealing with what I've been dealing with, but, you know, it it does, it changes you. It either changes you for the better or for the worse, or you really don't know how you're going to end up being in the end, but it changes you. Hopefully we grow from it. Hopefully we can fix it. Hopefully we can change it for our kids. Hopefully we can change it for the future to be better, you know, learn from it. And that's the problem. We just don't learn from life anymore. You know, I come from a background after I left home from where I can really see these kids problems. Cause I was a problem child. I had problems. Um, and I had a lot of adversity and I was a very curious kid 
and I got into trouble by being curious and going with people to the wrong places and doing the wrong things. And I mean, I could tell you some stories and I have talked on air about being with the rich and famous. You know, I used to run with the wealthy and we would go out and spend six or seven, eight grand a night, you know, and just having fun. And, um, I grew up in that kind of atmosphere and I grew up with very powerful people and, uh, pretty much could do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. And that gave me license to learn a whole lot of things that most kids will never get a chance to learn. Um, and there again, I think, I think, I think that was good that I got a chance to be in that group because I learned a lot of things that I wouldn't have normally learned and I wouldn't be the person that I am today uh, here on the radio talking about these very important things if I hadn't have grown up like I did. I think there may be a reason for all of this. Uh, There may not. I don't know. A lot of people were wanting my stance on God tonight in PM and wanting my stance on homosexuality and wanting my stance on abortion and wanting my stance on religion, and we'll get to all of that. We'll get to all of that in future shows. Uh, Tracy's interviewing me tonight, and we kind of got off track. But uh, No, we didn't. No, we didn't. It was actually perfect. I mean, I got, I got to do what I wanted to do, and you didn't even realize it. So. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we learned a lot about Kylo Davenport tonight, and I think that it was all the stuff that everybody wanted to learn, I think even religion and, and I think they can surmise most of your beliefs on those topics at, at this point, but yeah, we'll definitely talk about, more about it in the future. Well, if it wasn't for people like all of us, who would we be? Thank you, Jeff. Google. Thank who you would Google. we be? What kind of boring world would this be if we weren't all so very different and coming from different backgrounds and experiences perspectives what kind of terrible world would this be what kind of boring place would this be you know the secret to all of this and the key to wisdom in all of this is to be able to get along with everyone to be able to listen to someone to be able to respect their opinion and at the same time voice your strong opinion and uh, put it out there and have it respected and uh, you're just coming from two different places And you're really trying to convince each other. You're really trying to sell each other a bill of goods. That's what it's all about. Tracy's trying to sell me a bill of goods. Tom, you don't so much sell Mm -hmm. bills of goods, I've noticed. Uh, I do. Tracy does. Tracy and I are sellers on the marketplace of ideas. Tom, you don't try to sell people shit, and that's good. I'm Mm -hmm. proud of you for being able to not do that. Uh, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. Uh, most people are always trying to sell something to someone. Every time you open your mouth, you're trying to sell an idea to someone. You're trying to get them to think more your way. And that's what makes life interesting. And for me, that's wisdom to understand that, Mm -hmm. to step back and understand that and be able to see that, that whenever you're communicating with people, they're there to sell you a bill of goods. They're there to sell you some ideas. And from the dawn of time, it's always been like that. We go back again to the very beginning with hunter-gatherers. You know, we've always been about compromise and barter and understanding and, you know, um, trying to convince people that this is a better way or this is a better way. And that's human nature. And without that, without that, we wouldn't have diversity. And I don't think people understand that, that we can't have one without the other. And you can't appreciate one without the other. 
Well, when people, you know, when people say when people say stuff to me like, "Why did you say that the way you did?" Well, because I did. Yeah. Right. Some people are going to accept that. Some people won't. Why are you acting like like this? Why are you acting the way you're acting? Because I did. Mm -hmm. But I'm aware of it. And I'm listening to you critique it. And I'm aware of it. That's the difference in me and most people is I'm aware of the critique. I'm aware of the analysis. I'm aware of what I'm doing. I'm totally aware of what I'm doing. Some people are just opening their mouth and their brain's not working. When it goes back to what Tom was saying, Tom was talking about walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Or at this, at this point in society, you should walk a thousand miles in someone's shoes. But it goes back to that, and it goes back to empathy and being able to recognize that we're different and we believe different ways but still care about each other, you know, for core reasons. You know, we might find some things in common and some things we won't. The bottom line is we don't get to disrespect each other. We don't get to you know, hurt each other. We don't get to deprive other people of what their rights are. And we definitely don't get to treat people like they're lesser human beings because we don't agree with them. In all of that, in all of that, I kind of, I kind of agree with all of that. You still agree with it. No, 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 no. There's always going to be some hurt. No, no, no. I'm six here. I'm talking 60 years old going on 150. There's always going to be some hurt. There's always going to be some disrespect. There's always going to be some hatefulness. There's always going to be some major arguments and disagreements. And and there's always going to be that potential for danger. Mm-hmm. And this is where you become wise and this is where you become mature is when you can understand that as we're having a discussion here on air and we can know when to stop. And sometimes we don't know when to stop. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we make mistakes that we wish we hadn't have made, but we did. And that's okay as long as we can come back together and work things out. To me, that's the most tremendous, wonderful part of it all is if we can come back together and set the example. Look what we did. We sit down and we talked about this and we worked it out as much as it hurt. As much as I hurt her, as much as she hurt me, as much as he hurt me, we worked it out. Exactly. And we're not, yeah, just yeah. Pre- we're not just pretending to work it out. We're not just pretending to like each other. We're not mm-hmm. just here because we can't find friends anywhere else. We worked it out. And, and see, that's, that's what the biggest, have that's the biggest example. That's the biggest that's, example of a maturing being. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So many people today get their little feelings hurt, and they're gone. They're gone. (laughs) Because everyone's disposable. Everyone is. We're like freaking razors. We're all disposable. No one cares enough. Yeah, they take their toys and go home. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I'm sorry. That's life, okay? Get over it. (laughs) No one said, you know, this is something else I wrote, wrote, life. Life is a bed of roses, but if you expect it without thorns, you're a damn fool, okay? And, <sighs> you know, and it's just, I, I, I feel for people when, you know, they they moan, groan, and complain about the horror in their lives and things like that. It may not mean a hill of beans to me, but, and I may not have experienced what they've experienced, <sighs> And I may be sitting back going, um, <laughs> you don't know nothing about suffering. However, 
Like I said before, it's a mountain to them. And if we can't take the time to be human beings and feel each other's pain and help each other through it, then how can we expect anybody to do the same for us? Oh, and a while ago, I was talking about university. I wanted to bring up a point that I'm so disappointed in most of these university students because they don't understand Civics 101. They don't understand how the political system works. They don't understand what the president does or the cabinet does or the House does or the Senate does or the judiciary does or special uh, investigative committees or subcommittees or who is the NSA, who is the CIA, what's the FBI doing now in their surveillance programs, what is DOD doing, what's the DOJ doing. They have no clue what any of these things are. They don't even know how their basic community is set up as far as politics is concerned. They have no clue who's running things down at the courthouse or how it's being run or why it's being run or how the courts work like they do. And then they they find themselves in a situation like this or they find themselves having to deal with that exact, you know, arena, the civic arena, the political arena, and they wonder – then it takes a year to even get a basic grasp of how all of this works. <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I, I've had I, – I Kyler and I have had this discussion. <clears throat> I've had friends that come to me and say, I'm having this problem. And then they're absolutely amazed that with a few phone calls, I get it taken care of for them. And it's like um, – I I just, having been in the system, I know what buttons to push, what strings to pull. I know when to talk softly and when to talk assertively. And, you know, you, you judge, you're able to judge people from the words they say, from the tone of their voice, and you can pick up on these things. I mean, my stepdad taught me a long time ago, the first thing you notice is, a person's eyes. They're the windows to their soul. And when they leave, the last thing you notice are the backs of their heels, which tells you how they take care of themselves and their lives. And that has really served me well. Metaphorically speaking, that is very true, especially with the heel thing. Metaphorical statement there, yeah. which is a good metaphorical statement. Um being able to look into a person, being able to see a person completely is really a skill that's uh, uh, lacking today. Uh, most people are just looking at the superficial, the exterior, the moment in time. They're not see beyond that surface. There's something inside there deeper that needs to be looked at. And today, like Tracy said earlier, we don't have time to do that today. We're so in a hurry. We're so in a hurry to get through it, get through it, get through it, get through it. That half the time, we don't even take the time to listen when somebody's talking or text when somebody's texting. We don't even take the time to read the whole text. We're ready to text back. Oh, I know. You know. Our our lives have become so impersonal with technology uh, that we feel emboldened and semi-anonymous that we can say whatever comes across uh, and not feel that uh, it carries any weight or any retributions, or much less we don't care. 
Well, no, that's exactly, that's exactly what it comes down to. And I'll be honest with you, because I don't understand the dynamic of being able to be best friends with somebody. And I'm going to take it back to the beginning again. When I first asked you this question, I was, how yeah. can we be best friends with somebody? Whether it's platonic or not, okay, or, or it turns into a marriage. How can that be and then become those people, those, that same person's biggest enemy? Where we can't, we can't imagine them even wanting to, we don't even want them alive anymore. How does it get from one extreme to the other? I, I, it's because nobody gives a shit. Well, I will tell you that, and you already know this. Human beings are very, very, very complicated machines. And the human brain is very, very complicated. And sociology is very, very complex. And psychology is very complex. But it wasn't and We do not even know how the human brain works or functions. We do not even know if mind is connected to brain. We have no idea what's going on at the quantum level except our tensor measurements. That's the only way we can tell is our tensor measurements. We have no idea what's going on in the universe that we live in. We have no idea where we came from. We have no idea where we might be going. And we have no idea where we are except in this immediate star system. So there's a lot that we don't know. And a lot of that, a lot of that comes out as dysfunction. A lot of that comes out as hysteria. But, Kyler, the sad part about it is people, one, no longer have curiosity. They're scared of it. And, two, you and I take pride in knowing we know what we do not know. Right. There are people who do not even grasp that concept. I mean, you can look at them and say, do you know (laughs) what you do not know? And take prayer. Take yeah. prayer, prayer, for instance. Take prayer, for instance. I've seen a couple of uh, three or four different examples on Facebook this week of people saying, my, my brother's in the hospital. Can you please help? Can you please pray? Well, I counted, you know, 75, 75, 80 prayers coming, prayers coming, prayers coming. And then I stop the whole thread and talk about quantum physics and the importance of particles at a distance. And people just go, eh, what the fuck is he talking about? Particles at a distance? And it's hard science now that prayer might really work because of the molecular structure and be able, being able to manipulate the molecular structure through particles at a distance? You have to get people thinking. Well, my point here is 75 or 80 Prayers coming, prayers coming, prayers coming. What does that mean after a while? It's like saying I love you to someone while you're kicking them in the face. Well, it's it's become commonplace. It no longer has meaning anymore. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like None. you know when when you greet someone, None. when you greet someone and they say how are you, they don't really want you to tell them how you are. Okay. I was just gonna say that. Just gonna say that. I mean, how many people? How many people sit down and say, Father, I want you to be with Bill, Martha's son, Father, in Jesus' name, I want you, Holy Father, I want you to just wrap your arms around Bill right now at the hospital, Father, and just put your angel arms around him and just lift him up right now, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I pray that you will be with Mary. I pray that you will be with the family. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, I'm going to pray on my knees for the next hour and a half for this person I don't even know on Facebook. 
How many people do you know that honestly do that after saying prayers on the way? Oh, I know. I mean, now, Kyler, I've told you this. Ever since 9-11, okay, I lived less than two miles from Love, Love Field, okay? And the, 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 the seven to ten days after 9-11, when there were no planes flying, okay, every time now I hear a helicopter or a plane in the air, immediately I say a silent prayer, Please, Lord, guide and protect all the people on those on those flights now and tomorrow, because mm-hmm. it strikes me. Now, it, it's just a simple prayer. I have a prayer that I always say when Lester leaves the house or when we're out traveling. It's a lengthy prayer. I say it to myself. I, you know, I'll see a commercial on TV for a medication for some illness or some disease. And I always say a prayer, God bless us, everyone. My favorite line from um, A Christmas Carol. Because I firmly believe in the line from the Bible, there but for the grace of God go I. Mm, I use that a lot. Yeah. And I'm living proof that your life can change in a split second, okay? Oh, yeah. You know? And. Oh, yeah. uh, it makes me truly grateful for what I have and not take things for granted. Um, and, you know. Oh, I don't take I don't take even a spoon or a fork for granted where I am up here. I mean, I look at my spoons and forks and say, thank you. Thank you for this. We're blessed to have spoons and forks. We're blessed. Every time I rub a tub, run a tub of water, I think I just thank God for that tub of water. Just Just dripping. God, whoever you are, whoever you are. Whoever she is, thank you for this water running out of this spigot into this tub with warm water in it so I can get in and take a hot bath. I don't take anything for granted. I don't even take a light being turned on in a room for granted. Well, and and here's here's another thing, okay? I, this is going to sound weird, and Grandma, Grandma, when she was alive, used to say, well, you know, God has nothing to do with that. I would thank God for being able to make it on the toilet on time. Or I thank God that I wake up and am able to pee. I have that sensation because I'm in a wheelchair. Only 11% of the people with my incomplete spinal fracture have the kind of return and sensation that I have. But I thank God that I can feel, I can tell when I'm getting uh, a, a, a sore on my rear end and I can adjust. I feel for people who can't, but it makes me grateful. Oh, I do too. You know, it makes me grateful that I have these sensations because I almost didn't. Mm. Mm. You know, when you're when you're laying in a hospital bed for the first oh, it's four to six weeks after your car accident, and you can't move anything but your right forearm, you can't move your fingers can't move your toes, can't move your legs, um, you know, and um, y- you have to have assistance with everything. I mean, and I wrote about this in my first book. I remember having to feed my mom the last day I saw her, two days before her death on Mother's Day in 85. She couldn't feed herself. And then nine years later, 
I'm in the same boat on the other side of that fence. Mm-hmm. Someone was having to feed me in the hospital. So I know both sides of that. But it makes yeah. you truly appreciate what you have and what you don't have, and that's exactly what you were talking about, Kyler. People don't know you like I do. They don't know how you're sitting right now and how you look right now. And I can just say that I don't know how you do it, Tom. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I had trouble going through my bowel surgery. I don't know how you remain uh, calm every day and work as hard as you do being so immobile and paralyzed and unable to walk or get in the bed or get out of the bed or do all these things that we take for granted I just don't see how you do it, but you've been doing it for so long. Yeah. I guess that it's just common practice now. Well, well okay, so I think, and I think that's what it comes down to again, Tyler. We talk about complacency all the time, and a lot of that has to do with appreciating, like Tom was saying, appreciating not just you know what we have and what we you know we've worked hard for or the things that we're blessed with, but also appreciating people for who they are, and we, we touched on that too, but. I know that for me, for me, like, I didn't understand how to appreciate, you know, people like I did when I lost my daughter or now that I'm losing my mom. You know, I'm seeing both ends of it now. And for me, you know, the most wonderful part of my life has been being a mother. And I never realized the capacity that a child has and the way that we were talking about this earlier, the way that they're open-minded and they're like sponges. And if you really look at the love of a child for their parents, it's unconditional. And to have such an open mind and to have such a capacity to love on that level, um, mm-hmm. we're the, we, are the, we are the ones that corrupt that. You Thank know, you. we have no idea the extent um, that they, the capacity that they have. And we, we diminish that as parents and as, and as a society, we diminish that capacity. When you mm-hmm. talk about not understanding the potential of our brains, I think if you look at a child, you will start to see what that potential could possibly even be. And yet we take it, it for granted. We don't appreciate it. We I think they need to do a, property. I think, I, think, I think they need to do a reality show, which nobody would ever watch on the perfect parents and the perfect kids <laughs> who were really just living the perfect life and everybody was getting along great and having their arguments and disagreements and things, but still able to take the challenge and everybody comes out okay. Nobody would. I don't think anybody would watch that reality show, do y'all? If it was totally normal family, Kyler, everybody's they used to. It was called Leave It to Me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But see, you know, on the other end of it too, you know, I have my mom who's dying, and this is my first experience with you know very close familial death. And for me, it's a totally different appreciation of my mom as a parent, and you know, reminiscing about the things that she's taught me, and you know the the ways that just the memories, you know, and, and experiencing it from that end. So from the beginning of life to the end of life and just the way that her mind is opening once again, you know, to that unconditional love state and just being present and with her. It's, it's a totally different way of understanding and appreciating people. And I, I don't wish any of this on my worst enemy, but at the same time, I could not be more grateful for, for the lessons and the opening of my own mind and heart that it's done. Dying with mother gave dying with mother made me bitter toward God, so bitter toward God. Um, dying with her those last few months and being by her side and lying in bed with her while she was dying, choking to death. Um, it's done the opposite for me. For me, it's brought me sort of a spiritual calmness 
Yeah, not seeing, not because... seeing all the seeing all the holes in her and how she had been poked like a pincushion mm-hmm. and bloated up three times her size and her body brain on fire with boiling boiling body fluids from her high temperatures and me standing again, there with that... morphine waiting to shoot her up and overdose her on the morphine. Exactly, exactly. That's the point. You're seeing the medicinal side of it. The intervention between technology and humans. If your mom didn't have all that crappy intervention, well, I, worship, I worship the ground she walked on, and we were, you're right, we were totally immersed in the medical system with her team, and we had to fight them tooth and nail to get them to do certain things for her because, you know, they try to take control. That's why you're a patient advocate, and I'm a patient advocate, and Tom's a patient advocate. We understand exactly, yes. systems trying to take control, ethics, so-called ethics systems at the <laughs> hospital trying to take control of your personal situation with your well, loved yeah, one. But, when my mom was in so much pain for three days this last week because they were going to admit her to give her pain relief, I freaking about I about flipped the lid because I know that the minute she's admitted, she's not coming back out, and there was no way in hell I was going to let that happen. And I won't let my mom die in the hospital. You know, I won't let them intervene, and she doesn't want that. You know, I want her to be able to die as peacefully as possible without continuing her suffering. And yes. we do we allow all these other things to get involved and to intervene and medicine and technology and all these things because we want more. We want more time. We want, we want, we now want. Now, I do. We, uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, I want you to talk about your show a little bit before we go, but I wanted to say that um, I wanted Mother to have a new pacemaker um, and I shouldn't have done it. And I'm I'm publicly talking about it here on air, which I don't normally do. But I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have taken her in It's uh, in such pain and had a new pacemaker put in. I also wish I hadn't have had her teeth pulled because, as you know, the teeth are directly connected to the cardiac part of your body. And her teeth were infected. So I had all of her little baby teeth pulled and I could, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I cried in the waiting room. I bawled. I cried. Her face was swollen up like a basketball. I wanted to kill myself. I wanted how to old? die. Kyler, how old was she at that time? 84. Oh, man. I just wanted to die because her face was so confected, so infected, so screwed up from from her teeth. And I thought, well, if we're having the pacemaker put in, damn it to hell, I'll have this nasty pulled out of her mouth. You know, you just think, you know, you have to make a decision. You have to Go make ahead. a decision. Looking back on it, I would have never done it again. Never. I would let her die peacefully without the pacemaker and without the uh, the teeth thing being pulled. That, those are the two things I wouldn't have done. And uh, the other thing I wouldn't have done is probably have a feeding tube put in. There might have been another way. I wanted her to eat. She was starving to death, and hospice was trying to starve her to death. They wanted her to starve to death. And I couldn't see it. I just could not see it. I I let her starve for two days, and she was decorticate, and she was all pulling her. You know, her muscles were contracting, and I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do this. So I had a stomach tube put in, and she relieved. Oh, she was so relieved when I had that tube put in and started feeding her. She was so relieved, and then she died in peace. So that was that story. Um but I worship the ground she walked her little feet on. And when she died, boy, I had a big talk with God, I'll tell you. Let me tell you right now. We had a roundabout when she died. 
But most folks out there haven't had this experience that Tracy and I have gone through and are going through. But they will at some point, and I hope they all make it. I hope they're all strong, and I hope they're all able to get through it and learn something from it. And I hope they've learned something from the stories that Tracy and I tell on air about our loved ones dying. Well, and, and my experience is not as uh, like yours, but my mom was the victim of mercy killing suicide. Um, oh. And she had suffered with a very chronic case of MS the last 10 years of her life. But um, when I saw her on Mother's Day in 85, Mom's wrists were no bigger than a 50-cent piece, couldn't feed herself, couldn't hardly talk. She had to practice talking, couldn't dress herself, couldn't go to the bathroom, couldn't get herself in and out of bed, couldn't do anything for herself. Um, oh, my and a dear friend of hers of 40 years had lived with her the last four or five years of her life, and he was a Vietnam vet, and those were the happiest days of his life taking care of my mom. But two days after Mother's Day, the housekeeper came to the house. Dudley, the friend that was living with her, met her at the door, uh, gave her a $100 bill and said, would you go get me a carton of cigarettes? Well, when Ertheline came back, she walked in the house, said there was a funny um, odor in the house. It was deadly quiet, except for the TV blaring in the living room, as it always was. She walked down the hallway. Dudley's room was on the right, and no Dudley. She walked further down the hallway. The living room was on the left. There was Dudley, prostrated on his knees, had shot himself in the head. And when she got to my mom's room, Dudley had shot my mom in her sleep. Holy crap. Wow. Now, oh, she did. Um, wow, wow. I, 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 went, I, I will go to my grave believing that mom asked Dudley to put her out of her misery because Dudley loved yeah. her dearly. Um, yeah. And I, I, he was a very wealthy trust fund child, and I could have sued his, his estate for wrongful death, I and my sister. And when Carol came in from Virginia, I pulled her aside and I said, Carol, we are not suing Dudley's estate, because if we sue Dudley's estate, that's declaring what he did was wrong. Mom is no longer suffering. And the only reason Dudley took his own life is because they would have thrown him in jail and, and, and thrown away the key. Yeah, probably but so. They, they, Dudley, those were the happiest four or five years of his life, taking care of my mom. Yeah. Yeah, those were the happiest years of my life, taking care of my mom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I got to die with her in the bed. I'm glad we were together holding each other, me and Mary and her, with all of her little teddy bears and all of her little stuffed animals yeah. up on the bed with us. That was a wonderful time and a sad time all at the same yeah. time. Tracy, tell us about your show coming up. Uh, you're yeah. going to take Tom's night until he gets back. You're going to take Tom's slot until he gets back. And you're going to go Monday nights after that. Tell us a little bit about the show. Really quick before I do that, and I just want to kind of touch on what you said. Um, for me, it's been, it was the scariest thing, crossing over that threshold into my mom's house and knowing that I was going to be spending the final, you know, months with her. But I'm glad I did it. And you guys said it was the best time of your life. And I'm starting to realize it's actually a very, very good part of my life as well. So I, I wanted to just um, I think I kissed, 
I think I kissed mother's face to death those months. <laughs> yeah, I was running my fingers through my mom's hair today, and you know, it was just—it was so wonderful to be able to do that. And I'm so glad that I got over that fear of you know walking into our house knowing that it's going to be the last time I sat with her in these moments. So, yeah. um, my show, my show, yes, Tom, thank you for allowing me to fill in in your stead. I appreciate it very much. Certainly. Um, Tom doesn't know I, anything about it until just now. <laughs> well, no, but I, I, I thank you for. I thank you. For I am still so very grateful. <laughs> I'm so very He's grateful. And good. Filling the slot until Tom gets back. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Those it, issues that I it, can't fill. It, it'll probably be uh, March 8th before I get back. So um, I'm trying to get um, all this stuff ready for our major uh, new political party rollout. Um, and. Um, I've spent the last 24 to 48 hours working my tail off on the website. Um, and then tomorrow we're going out of town. A dear friend of ours suddenly, within 24 hours, went from feeling fine to uh, completely uh, incoherent in the hospital. And we don't know if Jeez. we don't know if he's going to live. So there's a group of us that are driving to Waco tomorrow to see him in the hospital and to spend time with his family. So, and, you know, it's been a rough um, month and a half with Lester and his back spasms. And, um, you know, so um, I appreciate you taking the slot. and um, You know, sweetheart, enjoy it. And I'll probably be back on March 8th. So. Well, again, like I said, I appreciate it. Hey, if you'd like, maybe we can do a joint show. So that you don't yeah, lose, you don't use don't lose the slot time. What do you think of that, Kyler? That's wonderful. Whatever y'all want to do, I'm all good <laughs> with all of it. I love it. I'm just happy. Happy. Well, hopefully, happy, I'll happy. make you. Um, I'll continue to make you proud and your audience that you have established. Um, I'm going to be talking about our rights. Uh, it's called rocking our rights. Um, and then I'm going back to the our original rights, our natural rights, uh, unalienable rights. So they're secured and. Given, not given to us, but are secured through the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So we're going to go back to our roots and, and realize what our what our real rights are and, uh, and start asserting them and being confident in them and um, using them for what they're meant to be and uh, winning cases in court. So Excellent. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, it's going to be I can't wait. I can't wait till we... We're going to try and put a little spin <clears> on it, some satire, some entertainment. We don't want it to always be so serious, so... I'm going to try and, try and have it be some kind of fun with all that seriousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can definitely make that happen. Um, y- y'all should do some sound effects. That's that's something that, right? that Nick and I, when we, we're, we're doing this new YouTube podcast, and we're doing sound effects. We'll do the airing, and then he'll go back in and add sound effects for the, for the cool. final editing. Uh, and it, it really creates some entertainment, um, you know, and uh, one of the things I've been toying with, at one point I'm going to be on camera, and, you, you know, uh, you've seen the, the scene from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he's playing the clarinet, and he can't really play the clarinet, and he says, not a single lesson. And then you have all these other presidential candidates, like Bill Clinton comes out with his clarinet, and um, another one was came out was playing the guitar, and all this other stuff. So I told Nick, I said at one point, I'm going to come out and play a kazoo, and I'm going to go, not one lesson. 
A <laughs> gazoo. <laughs> Funny. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in tonight. We've got about two minutes left on the clock. I want to thank Tracy Ross for being Tracy Ross, and I want to thank Tracy Ross for working with us as a producer at the network and struggling and striving to get her own uh, show and network up and running. Thomas Euford, as usual, my co-host on Wednesday nights. I want to thank you, Tom, for being a friend for so many years and such a wonderful friend. Tell Lester we said hi and good luck and be safe on your trip. Tracy, we're with you and your mother, 100,000%. And if you need us, you know we are always here. But I will see you guys in PM anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, if if I ask one question, Tracy, what's your mom's first name? Uh, Her name is Sue. I beg your pardon? Sue or Susan? Sue. Sue. Susan. Susan. Okay. I'd like to to personalize my prayers. We're we're cutting it down to the last 30 seconds. Uh, Thank thank you you all so much. And remember, whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire and enthusiastically act upon folks it will come to pass as scary as that sounds be careful mm-hmm. what you wish for it just might happen bye tracy bye tom Good night, lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.